0: Mr. Andrew Stanley, the son of the well-known preacher, Charles Stanley, who recently passed away not too long ago, he said regarding the Old Testament scriptures that they were Jesus' new covenant, his covenant with the nations, his covenant with you, his covenant with us can stand on its own two nail-scarred resurrection feet. It does not need propping up by the Jewish scriptures, that's the Old Testament, The Bible did not create Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus created and launched Christianity. Your whole house of Old Testament cards can come tumbling down. Mr. Stanley is arguing that we should, in his own words, in another publication of his, unhitch the Old Testament from our preaching and live and focus solely on the New Testament. Mr. Stanley fails to realize the awful blindness of his heart And we do not argue that there are passages in the Old Testament which are more difficult to understand than the New. But we must always remember, Christian, the Old Testament is what the apostles preached from. You take Peter at Pentecost. He brought in references from the Psalms, Psalm 110, Psalm 116. Christ referenced the Old Testament, and he said, search the Scriptures, they would testify of him. And of course, there only was the Old Testament then, so that's the Scriptures he was talking about. We use the Old Testament often to understand the New and vice versa. The Bible is a unity. It's a unified book, and it all points to Jesus Christ. People who deny this often say you can't preach the gospel from the Old Testament. Well, tonight in our text, we find Zechariah. This is the book of Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah, a contemporary of Haggai and Malachi, and he is preaching to the Jewish people. He has spoken to them in the preceding chapters about repentance and mourning over sin. And now he plainly preaches the gospel, the same gospel that we preach today, he preaches to them. And that's what I want us to look at in the will of God tonight, just for a few moments. And it is that gospel preached by Zechariah. the gospel preached by Zechariah. And the first thing I want you to note that Zachariah preaches about is the malady, the malady. The word malady, it means sickness, illness, or disease. Zechariah, he notes a clear malady here, or a sickness, or rather two of them. If you look at the verse with them, verse 1, he says, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then here is the malady, the sickness, the disease, for sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah, he doesn't shroud it in mystery. And we're not left, as it were, to work it out with careful study. He says sin and uncleanness. It's very clear what he's trying to say. Perhaps not the word uncleanness, yes, but the word sin, even the children could be able to explain to us tonight what the word sin means. It's a breaking of God's holy law, which renders every man and woman a sinner, condemned and under the wrath of God with no help or no hope of salvation in themselves. With these two words, sin and uncleanness, they go farther than just this idea of law breaking. And I want you to note that they speak of guilt. The word sin that speaks of guilt in the Hebrew, it means to miss the mark. That's really what you could translate it as. Missing the mark of what, you might ask? Well, it's God's holy standard. Go with me there to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. I want to just see a couple of things here. Exodus 24, and the verses 7 and 8. And the context here is that the Lord has given the law to Moses for the people. And we find here, Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8. And it says, this is speaking of Moses, And he took the book of the covenant, and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said will we do, and be obedient And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now, taking those two verses and what happened at Sinai, there are those who argue that this means that God was telling the people, there is another way you could be saved, namely through the law. Friend, that is a complete lie. The law was given as a schoolmaster to show the people that they were incapable of such an act, of keeping it perfectly. The Ten Commandments were not given as a means of acceptance with God in this sense in in Sinai, but they showed what God required of man and how far man was from it. The people in Exodus had been redeemed by the blood of the Passover and were given the law to live by as all believers are to do. But also, as I say, that schoolmaster to drive them to the Savior from all sin, Christ, the coming Lamb of God. And you and I, we have the Ten Commandments as well, and they do the same thing for us. It shows us God's holy standard and what he requires of us and that perfection and how far off it we are. It, in turn, it drives us to Jesus Christ as the only one who can save. And thus, to bring it back to our text, when we speak of guilt, this word sin in Zechariah 13.1 means missing the mark. It means one guilty of breaking that law. And it doesn't take a great intellect to understand that if you're not at the standard required by the Lord, then you're below it. And if it is the law and you're below the standard of the law, then you're guilty of breaking that law. That is the logical explanation. No man can argue that he has not broken some of the commandments, if not all. Laying, stealing, lusting, coveting, taking the Lord's name in vain. The list goes on. And Zechariah here in this word sin, he's describing this malady, this sickness of mankind. Firstly, through their guilt. But then he takes this word uncleanness. In this word, it speaks of moral defilement. Not only guilt, but moral defilement. And being unclean spiritually, it really is what he's saying here. But it also has a deeper meaning. The Hebrew word means filthiness, pollution. And being set apart from, because of that pollution, you can think of the leper being put out of the camp. That's the idea here. Think of that separation, unclean, unclean and defiled to such a point that there must be a separation and a barrier between the two, between this person and the Lord. Another malady is that of defilement and pollution. What does this mean in relation to man? Well, man through his sin is morally defiled in the sense even his most righteous acts. Even his best works of his hands are tainted by sin. He cannot carry out good works pleasing to the Lord. May appear men do carry out good works such as acts of government that are right and acts of charity, etc. But those, while they're good and right and true, those are for a salving of the conscience, a satisfying of the flesh, a resulting of a name. Man cannot please God in himself because man is God's enemy. In Romans 8 verse 7, it speaks about the carnal mind being enmity with God. And that really means that within the, in man, there resides a carnal fleshly mind by nature, which cannot be subject to the law and is opposite in the sense of opposition to God. The uncleanness that is spoken of here, and I speak about moral defilement, is really the will of man, his very nature being against God. This is a sickness caused, of course, by sin. Man lives for self and pleasure. Man lives for his own wishes and wants. Man, he may appear good. He may go to church and do all that comes with that. But God calls those good works filthy rags. Of course, unfit for purpose. And so tying these two acts together, these two aspects that Zechariah draws our attention to, sin and uncleanness, we find that the breaking of God's law brings guilt because there's punishment due for that offense. And also, the moral character and will of man is wholly against God. Man is turned from the Lord. No man can love the Lord or serve him unless he's born again of the Spirit. Friend, I ask you tonight is this you that I'm speaking to? Have I just described you tonight? Are you under the guilt and defilement of sin? Or are you walking in the light of life, which is Christ the Lord? Are you saved tonight? Christian, this is what we're safe from. Not just a few offences, but a complete defilement of our nature and sins that would condemn our souls. Zechariah preached this, and so do we. There's no difference. In his day men were sinners, and our day men are still sinners. Zechariah noted not only the malady, but also the method in his gospel preaching. He provides us not a clear understanding, just a clear understanding of the sin and the sickness common to all men. But he gives the method for their recovery and their salvation. Go back to our text there in Zechariah 13. And we see these lovely words at the start. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David. It's found in those words. There shall be a fountain opened. And regarding this method we see the setting of it. The day in reference is not just any day. Or a, even an event random in time. The day in reference is the day of our de- the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks, when Zechariah was writing and speaking and preaching this, it speaks of a literal future day, a specific day and time and moment when Christ would die, the day of the crucifixion of the Lord. Note before, as I said, that's exactly what we preach today. I point you to a time when Christ died and rose again. Zechariah pointed sinners likewise to the same time. I point you to that day, he points you to that day. He looked forward and pointed them forward. And of course, I point you back. But it's the same person and it's the same method of salvation. And not only the setting that day, but also the source. says there, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David. The source of the method is the fountain. And you think of a fountain and you think of its role. There is a visual role that it plays. It's nice to look at, providing they're well-maintained. You can think of the city of Rome, for example, if you've ever been there. They have many famous fountains, such as the Trevi Fountain. And people come to, from all over to gaze at the waters that flow from it. There's a satisfying sense and a, a visual sense of looking at it. But Also, perhaps not in modern times as much, but at least not in this country, but in days gone by, a fountain would have been even a source of water for the thirsty. It satisfied the thirsty and it quenched their longing for water. Not only that visual and that satisfying role, but a fountain also brought purification. Again, you know, like any body of clean water, it could be used to wash garments and even our own bodies. The fountain is beautiful to look at. It's satisfying for the thirst, and it is useful for purification and washing. And that's the source of the method that Zechariah presents. The fountain is a type of Christ. And how can I say that? Well, it certainly isn't any ordinary fountain. For look at the words of our text that says, "In that day there shall be opened, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David for sin and for uncleanness." It's a fountain opened for sin. It cannot be any ordinary fountain. The ceremonial law and the washings it prescribed could never remove sin. The book of Hebrews tells us that. Only the blood of Christ can remove sin. The Bible tells us that too. That's the foundation of our faith. And therefore, this fountain, it can only refer to Christ. You think of the visual aspect I mentioned. The fountain is beautiful to look at, but how much more precious and beautiful to the soul is Jesus Christ, the Son of God? When we look at Him and we see Him in salvation, we see peace with God. We see rest for our souls, peace for our conscience. You think of the satisfying of the thirst that the fountain can bring. Christ said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He quenches the thirst of the heart and soul and leaves the soul satisfied and at rest. Think of those words that we sing, none but Christ can satisfy. We sing that hymn quite often. Christ satisfies the soul. But not only a visual role and a satisfying role, Christ also cleanses and purifies his blood cleanses from sin. It washes whiter than the snow and by salvation through him, we receive that new nature through the Holy Ghost. Turn with me there to John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. We'll see a little bit more of this. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. John 7, Christ has been teaching in the temple here, teaching at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And then we go to verse 37, what it says there. and it says, John 7, 37, In the last day, that great day of the Feast, Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried. He shouted. He made everyone to hear him, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Verse 38 He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The rivers of living water are the Holy Ghost dwelling in the believer. And the believer has that new will and that new inclination towards holiness and toward God. It's no more sin that they desire over God, but it's God. And it's love for God. Yes, we feel. Yes, we fall to our flesh. Yes, as it were, we do things that we shouldn't do as Christians. Yes, of course. But we long and we desire after Christ. That's the change. Christ speaks about rivers of living water, the Holy Ghost dwelling in man. And so we see that this fountain that's opened, this source, it has a visual aspect. You have to look at it to see it and to enjoy it. You have to partake of its waters to be satisfied, and you have to go into its waters to be purified and to be cleansed. That's what Zechariah is speaking of as the method for salvation here. But not only the setting and the source and the method, he also says or speaks about the sacrifice. Note again in Zechariah 13.1, it says, and in that day there shall be a fountain opened. Speaking of a sacrifice here, why do I say that? Well, the word opened in Hebrew, it can mean opening, event, or being unstopped. The senses of a flowing fountain, that's really what the picture is. And that speaks clearly of Christ. Think of a side where out of it flowed blood and water, a flowing cleansing fountain from the Savior's side. Every blood and every drop of that blood, as it were, that holy blood, is sin cleansing blood, purifying blood, redeeming blood, and restoring blood. Go with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 4. I want to draw your attention to something here. There's a contrast made, and I trust this will be a blessing to your soul. We're thinking about the fountain, which is Christ. Go to Song of Solomon, 4, and the verse 12. Song of Solomon chapter 4 and the verse number 12. And the context of this verse is, this is Christ speaking about the church. This is Christ speaking about his beloved, the believers, the church of God, those that are washed in his blood. Verse 12 of Song of Solomon 4. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. Of course, that's a name for the church. A spring shut up. And then it says this, a fountain sealed that's a description of the believer as a sealed fountain and in christ we're a fountain sealed and a garden enclosed only for christ we are separated and set apart for him and in us flows those rivers of or those rivers of living waters we notice from the holy ghost we're not to be part of this world enclosed for christ alone but christ is the open fountain open for his people and it speaks of his sacrifice on the cross the Old Testament required blood. And the only way of satisfying the penalty of the law is through blood and the shedding of it. And it was shed in the finished sacrifice of Christ. So here, Zechariah. He's showing the clear method of salvation. It's the same method that we preach today. The source is Christ and his sacrifice that he rendered on that day, that only day where he died, died once and for all. No more, no more times he had to die. We think of those who believe that he has to be crucified over and over. One sacrifice for sins forever, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Friend, tonight, have you partook of this method? Have you plunged beneath that cleansing fountain? Have you partook of the satisfying waters of Christ? Have you met with him tonight? Are you still not saved? Are you still cold against him, hard against the master? Think of that wonderful fountain that's opened but not only the malady, not only the method. But lastly, in Zechariah's gospel here, there is the metaphor, the metaphor. Zechariah brings in a metaphor here to illustrate to the mind the point he's making. Go back there to our text in Zechariah 13.1. It says there, In that day there shall be be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Note those words, to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now those words, yes, they do have a literal meaning in the sense uh, that the house of David is the Jewish nation, of course, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, of course, or those who were in Jerusalem on that specific day. Literally, there is this fountain opened. Christ's blood has been shed on the method of salvation. It's openly witnessed and it's physically witnessed, literally, to those who dwell there in Jerusalem that day, whether it be Jew or Gentile. But there is a, met- a metaphor here also. You think of what said of Christ in Luke one, thirty-two and thirty-three before his incarnation, that he would be in the throne of David and rule over the house of Jacob. Christ would reign over Jacob's house. Jacob being a forefather, of course, of David. And the point being, these terms, David's house, Jacob's house, they refer to the people of God. David physically ruled over a people that were the chosen of God. And Christ rules over his own people, his own chosen people, as the great king. Also Christ in his flesh, he was a descendant of David, literally of David's house. And it speaks again of those who are part of the mythical body of Christ. It speaks of the elect, the chosen people of God who he came to redeem. The inhabitants of Jerusalem is likewise a metaphor for the people of God, the redeemed people think of Jerusalem, it refers to the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where the redeemed will dwell in eternity. It speaks of a people, a particular number of individuals who will dwell there, whatever that number will be that Christ has died for. Any man or woman, boy or girl can be part of that number, but they must repent and trust in Christ. And Zechariah, he brings this wonderful description here of this precious fountain that's opened for those who will be partakers of it through Jesus Christ. This fountain, sadly, it won't benefit all. All will not come to Christ because of the sin I mentioned on my first point. That will be yours, dear man or woman, that is an enemy of God. That inclination and that sin that drives you from Christ and from the fountain rather than to it. And Zachariah speaks clearly that only the redeemed will enjoy this fountain. And I say to you the same thing that he said. Zachariah's message is the same message we preach today Repent and believe the gospel. Turn and trust. Look and live. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Zachariah shows this fountain open for sin and uncleanness to those who will call upon the name of the Lord. I show you the same picture. Christian, can we live in the full enjoyment of this? Are we living in it? We often fail to do so. A wonderful cleansing fountain where we lose all our crimson stains. And yet, we often go around as if no Christ has died, as if no gospel is there for us. Friend, believe or rest and rejoice in the finished work of Christ. The house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem have cleansing and pardon from sin. And that's you and I if we're trusting in Him. But, unbeliever, as we close tonight, will you tarry any longer? Or will you repent and believe the Lord? Will you come to Christ? You ask me how? I already said it. Repent of your sin. Turn away from it and turn to Christ and ask you to wash him in his blood and trust in him alone for salvation. Throw yourself alone upon his mercy and he will save you now and for all eternity. I trust and pray that the Lord will draw you to himself tonight. May God write his word in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Let's just close our meeting with the singing of a couple of verses of a hymn together. It's 324. 324. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. We'll sing verses 1, 3 and 4 please. 1, 3 and 4 only. And of course at the conclusion of this service with the concluding prayer, there is food provided in the hall and everyone is most welcome to attend that. And I'll go to the door for any who are leaving before the food.